uh, I want to uh, take a little bit, uh, go through this a little bit quicker so that uh, we can do some things that I'm planning for the Lent as we make the journey to the cross. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to begin this morning. I invite you to stand with me. hope you're ready to receive this word and that the Lord is going to speak to us and, and we'll hear from him clearly today. If you want to hear the voice of God... Read your Bible aloud. That's what I, I think. And, uh, and so may the Lord speak to us today as, as he shares from his word. Beginning here with verse uh, 1 in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes this. He says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but but denying its power have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers opposed the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. A pastor and priest stood by the side of the road holding up a sign that read, The end is near. Turn yourself around now before it's too late. They planned to hold up the sign for each passing car. Well, leave us alone, you religious nuts, yelled the first driver as he sped by. Then, from around the curve, they heard screeching tires and a big splash. The pastor said to the priest, maybe we should just hold up a sign that says, bridge out ahead, instead. Paul is in sight of his end. He knows that he doesn't have long for this world. He writes to Timothy, the man he is charged with, with leading the church in his absence. And at this point, he chooses to discuss the issue of the last days. Now, let's begin here by saying that when the Bible refers to the last days, it is often speaking of that period of time from Jesus' first coming, when he was born in Bethlehem, to his second coming. Peter at Pentecost says, in these last days, the Spirit has been poured out. In Hebrews 11, the Bible says, in times past, God spoke in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Paul says that there will be terrible times in the last days. And if you think about it, well, he's writing this from prison. He's facing death because of the gospel. He had already suffered much for the gospel, and the church would soon face persecution from Rome in many different ways. They were living, in fact, in the last days. We are living, in fact, in the last days. But the scripture also indicates that terrible times will greatly intensify just prior to Christ's coming. 
There's a sense in which the last days then do refer to the final hours of history. Jesus said evil will increase before his coming. In Matthew 24, 21, Jesus was revealing the signs that would indicate his second coming. And he said this, he said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Paul tells us that Christians ought to anticipate that conditions in the world are going to grow worse. He calls them terrible times. The word in Greek means violent, dangerous, menacing times. In classical Greek, the word would be used for wild animals or a turbulent sea. Now, I don't think I have to spend a whole lot of time talking about and making the argument that morally and culturally speaking, in many ways, the world is getting worse. There's an acceleration of evil in our day. It's not just that there is better media coverage or the fact that there's just more people in the world, but I think evil is becoming more and more prevalent. I was listening to a pastor the other day, and he was, he's now retired, but he described when he was young how he was not allowed by his parents to go see the movie Gone with the Wind. Why? Because it had a swear word in it. You remember the famous line. I'm not going to repeat it. But think how far we've come. The internet, my goodness, the filth we regularly stream into our very homes would have been considered immoral and pornographic just decades ago, but we do so today without so much as blushing. We've just seen recently how late-term abortions have been permitted in New York State to the cheers of a legislature. The U.S. Senate was unable to pass a law that would have protected the life of a baby born after a botched abortion. Now, that's inconceivable to me. Jesus said, with the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Isn't it interesting that Paul describes the people responsible for these terrible times in terms of love? Paul uses 19 expressions describing these people. He begins by telling us, People will be lovers of themselves. But, but also then look at the last phrase. It's a nice sandwich here. The last phrase is rather than lovers of God. They love themselves. They do not love God. Now, I think that expresses our age. Jesus said the love of most will grow cold. And I think we see that all around us. You know, as I began to look at this passage then, I began to realize that, that there are at least four or maybe actually five moral trends that we can discern here in the last days. And I want to just quickly outline them with you together. First, I would have you notice that, that selfishness will prevail. Verse 2, Paul says again, people will be lovers of themselves. And if you think about it, selfishness is really the fundamental basic sin. You can take almost any sin and trace it back to me first. So I love me more than my neighbor, so I will cheat or steal or lie. I love me more than my family, therefore I will leave my wife when she doesn't meet my needs. Or I refuse to quit drinking because... I know it even in spite of the fact that I know it hurts my children. I love me more, so I will sexually abuse a minor. 
I love me more than God. <clears throat> Therefore, I will spend my pleasure, spend on my pleasure, and never think of being generous toward His church. Meism is the dominant philosophy of our time, and, and when you love yourself. You've got to promote yourself. And so notice what Paul says. He says they will be boastful, proud, and abusive. Honestly, sometimes, and I, I have difficulty listening to our President Trump when he speaks about himself, whether he's boasting about his intelligence or his deal-making abilities or any other thing, he has an ego for the ages. I'm also immensely troubled, by the way, at times he abuses people so openly with his tweets. And, and the thing is, we've almost gotten used to this in our culture and, and, and with our public figures. I just want to remind you as Christians, Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. Now, the second moral condition of the last days will be that common courtesy is going to be abandoned. After all, when the world revolves around me, well, I don't care much about you. And so that comes through in big ways and small ways. Paul says people will be abusive, ungrateful, unforgiving, without self-control. They'll be brutal, slanderous treacherous. If you're on Twitter, and some of you are, you see that every day. But beyond that, I'd say talk to a person who works in retail. Talk to a person who, who, who works in fast food. Talk to a waitress. And just about the obnoxious, I've heard some of them. I wonder if it doesn't happen in our church parking lot on Sunday morning. I hope not. But you might think that people would be embarrassed to behave in such a way, but no, rather, they are filled with such angst. So many in our society are filled with such anger and bitterness that decency and patience toward others is gone. It, it used to be that, that people would stop at a funeral procession and call, cars would pull over to the other side. That's the way it was when I was growing up, but Man, as a pastor who've been a part of a lot of funeral processions, I've seen cars weave in and out and, and beep their horns and become irritated by the delay. Common courtesies are, are just lost. Thirdly, I, I'd have you note that I think Paul points out that the family will go through crisis. The family will will dissolve in a sense. They will become disobedient, Paul writes, to their parents. What we have to realize is that's not always the child's fault. I mean, think about it. We've already seen the scourge of divorce in our society, the, the breakdown of marriage and the popularity of just cohabitating, living together. We have the cancer of sexual abuse, and I think we have just begun to understand that. Paul describes people as ungrateful, unholy, and without love. The King James Version translated that uh, without love, without natural affection. It's the kind of love that was intended for a family, just naturally. But it's gone. 
J.B. Phillips translates this as, without regard to what their parents taught them. I like that. Because this is more than just not obeying. It's a rejection of what came before. It's a rejection of faith and values. It's often a rejection of common sense. Many of us don't realize it, but we are quickly moving toward a day when it will be considered abusive to identify a child's gender at birth. Do you realize that? We are heading there right now. As an example of where things are headed, let me just read a portion of an article written in January on AOL.com. Actress Kate Hudson doesn't want to put any labels on her daughter before she figures out who she is on her own. The actress who welcomed her first daughter, named Ronnie Rose, with partner Danny Fujikawa, notice that they're not married, in October recently opened up about motherhood and explained that she's trying not to make any assumptions over how Ronnie will identify. I think you just raise your kids individually together of their sex, regardless of their sex, like a genderless approach. Hudson explained, we still don't know what she's going to identify as. Help us, Jesus. As we sow these seeds of destruction in our society, our children are going to be the victims. One of my favorite websites is the Babylon Bee. Any of you ever got on there? It's a Christian satirical news site. I was interested. After the Oscars last week, they posted this story. Nations wealthy, privileged, gather to lecture nation of evils of wealth and privilege. I thought that kind of... (laughs) Hit the spot. And yet they're influencing us every day. And they have, in so many ways, a bigger audience than than we do. This leads really to the fourth trend that traditional values are despised. In verse 3 he says, They are not lovers of the good. As society drifts away from God, you see this. There is an increasing introverted sense of value. Right has become a source of ridicule, and wrong has become a source of admiration. Just 20 years ago, if I stood in this pulpit, and I did, and said that marriage had been defined by God as between a man and a woman, there was almost universal acceptance and appreciation for that statement. But our culture has now turned that very statement into a statement of bigotry and hate. Some of you noted with me that the United Methodist Church this week voted by a very narrow margin to retain its stance that the practice of homosexuality is in fact incompatible with Christian teaching. Although the Bishop Council had recommended a much softer stance. The reason? Delegates from other countries had joined with with conservative allies in the United States. So it was other countries who, in many ways, decided we're going to stand for a biblical understanding of marriage. I read the remarks of Dr. Jerry P. Kula, a dean of the United Methodist Church University in Liberia. And during the debates, he made this statement. He told delegates... 
We extend grace to all people, and we all know we are all sinners in need of God's redeeming. We know how critical and life-changing God's grace has been in our own lives. We warmly welcome all people in our churches. We long to be in fellowship with them, to pray with them, to weep with them, and to experience the joy of transformation with them. But friends, please hear me. We Africans are not afraid of our sisters and brothers who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, questioning, or queer. We love them, and we hope the very best for them. But we know of no compelling argument for forsaking our church's understanding of Scripture and the teachings of the church universal. And then please hear me, he said, when I say as graciously as I can, we Africans are not children in need of Western enlightenment when it comes to the church's sexual ethics. We do not need to hear a progressive U.S. bishop lecture us about our need to grow up. We are grounded in God's word and the gracious and clear teachings of his church. On that, we will not yield. We will not take a road that leads us from the truth. We will take the road that leads to the making of disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. I hope and pray for your sake that you will walk down that road with us. We would warmly welcome you with our tra- as our traveling companions. But if you choose another road, we Africans cannot go with you. Praise God for, 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 for members of the church who are willing to stand up against the, 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 the age of our day. George Orwell stated this. He said, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. Now, the fifth moral trend is going to be that intellectual pursuit is going to become futile. In verse 7, he says, they will always be learning, but they will never come to the knowledge of the truth. Always learning, but unable to come to the knowledge of the truth. We live in an interesting age. We call it the information age, of course. Put simply, if you have an iPhone 6, and an iPhone 6 is an old phone by any standard. But by the way, an iPhone 6 was 32,600 times faster than the best Apollo-era computer, the computer that, that guided us to the moon. You wouldn't be wrong in saying that an iPhone could be used to guide 120 million Apollo-era spacecraft to the moon all at the same time. And yet, with all of this knowledge, With all of this information, we continue to drift from the knowledge of the truth that God has created us and that Jesus died for us. They will keep on learning and insisting that we're just here by accident and that we are just all really grown-up germs. Now, it's important for us as Christians, as we look around our world, that, that we see the worsening conditions. But listen, we don't panic. We don't despair. This is exactly what the Lord predicted would occur. But I want you to notice our strategy. 
And our strategy begins in making a decision to consistently reject the values of the world, that people will love themselves. Because Christians, we are to be lovers of God. We put him first. We love his word. The world measures success by possessions and and pleasure and prestige. But Christians, we will measure our success by service. The world is motivated by selfishness. Do your own thing. But we as a community have to reject that. We are motivated by putting God first and others higher than ourselves. And so Paul said in Romans 12, verse 1, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are to love God. We are to be transformed and renewed by, in our mind. We are to love his word. The second thing I, I want you to see in this passage is that we, we, as we think about the last days is that we are to separate ourselves from spiritual phoniness. Paul says that there are some who have the form of godliness, but they deny its power. We've seen some of that evidence this week. And what you have to see is that this isn't even outside of the church. Yes, there are many false religions, but this, in fact, is inside the church. We didn't look at this, but earlier in chapter 2, Paul talks about dealing with false teachers in the church. In Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus is talking to to religious folks, the Sadducees, and Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Now, isn't it interesting that he puts that idea together? The scriptures and the power of God go hand in hand. In Acts 4.33, it says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. So what we need to understand is is that power is not in a beautiful smile or the ability to tell a good joke. The power is not an ability to make you feel better, as so many pastors are really good at doing today, but they never mention sin. They never discuss judgment. The power of God is not being able to convince people to give you more money so that you can have a private jet. The power of God is the word of God. The power of God is the testimony of what Jesus Christ has done. The testimony of that he came to save sinners. And you deny that and you have nothing. Amen. I'll take that. Paul talks about. Paul talks about those who are in the church who can worm their way into homes and gain control. And notice this, over gullible women. Now, Paul, listen, Paul is not talking about women in general, okay? Uh, In fact, I remember, I think it was another translation that's talked about weak women. And listen, that's not a good translation. In fact, a recent study has found, I, I don't know weak women, because a recent study found that a woman who carries a little extra weight lives longer than the man who mentions it to her. So I, that, that, is, that is true. But, but Paul here is talking about an easy target. Someone who's, who's, who, who, who's gullible, who, who might be uh, gullible in the sense, I, I, I think of an, an elderly person who sends money to the TV preacher 
and they have no idea what they're really giving to. Or the thousands of Christians who inadvertently support causes that actually go against their values. It happens all the time. Paul says you need to be smart about this and separate yourself from that. So part of our strategy, Christians, is we have to know the Bible for ourselves. Every month, our treasurer hands me a monthly report on the church's finances. Now, because I've been here for over 20 years, I can look at that report. It's about eight pages. It's got numbers you wouldn't believe. It's all kinds of things. But I can know in about 30 seconds, and I can tell you if something's not quite right. Now, I may not exactly know why, and and it might take me some time to figure out what's exactly wrong. But listen, if you give that to me in just a short period, I can tell you if it's on or not. Just because I've looked at it and been a part of it for so long. Now, if someone comes in and they look at that report for the first time, I'm going to tell you it will honestly just confuse them. They won't know what's going on. It'll be a hard task for them to figure it out. But I've seen it so often, I just know that something is right or something's off. I think the same thing is true when it comes to God's Word. Listen, if you regularly are in God's Word, if you are studying God's Word, if you have a regular devotional life, that, that spirit of God is going to bear testimony and bear witness to you when the spirit of the world tries to invade your home and your personal uh, situations. You, you need to understand God's word so that you can have a defense against the values that are coming against you in this world. And there's one final thing I want you to see. In our strategy for these last days, we must never forget that we can have confidence and the ultimate justice of God. Then one day, justice is going to prevail. Now, listen, I'm with you. There are t- some moments when I, I have this temptation to get all upset and get down and discouraged. Why does God allow that to happen? Why do wicked people prosper and why do Christians suffer? But Paul cites two examples of men named Janus and Jambres. He says they opposed Moses, and ultimately their folly was revealed. Now, remember when Moses went to Pharaoh, and he was going to him and and asking or, or demanding that the Israelites be freed from slavery, and he was able to perform miracles. Well, the magicians were able to perform those miracles too. When Moses made uh, the, the staff turn into a snake, guess what? The magicians did the same. When the water was turned into blood, guess what? The magicians were able to do the same. Well, Jewish tradition named them. Their names were Janus and Jambres. But you also remember that in time, they couldn't keep up with Moses. They couldn't keep up with the power of God, and their folly was soon made It looked like the same thing. It looked like no difference. But in fact, there was a great difference. Listen, a good place to go when you're discouraged, when you see what is going on in our world, is Psalm 73. I want you to look at that with me for just a second, and then we'll be done. But the psalmist reports, he says, My feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. He goes on to say they scoff and speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. I I don't know about you, but there are times when I can really identify with that. But he says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. I I feel played, he says. I've been good for nothing. But then look at verse 16. And the whole passage is worth reading, but we just have time to, to note the highlights here. He says, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. You know, we need to be in God's house. We, we need to hold on to our times of worship. We need to be faithful in study of God's word. We need to hear from God regularly. And when we do, we recognize there's more to the story than maybe what we see today. And then he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. So flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The future is unfolding exactly as God had planned. God is in control. He will unleash his justice when it looks like, yes, evil is going to prevail. But there's coming a moment when the trumpet will sound. And Christ will come. And he will put his enemies under his feet. And so we can move into the future with confidence, with a sense of peace, knowing that in the end all things work together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. So it's okay. We're in good hands. Let's pray. Father, I I pray that as we examine these times, I don't know, Lord, all that's happening, but I see the signs. Lord, I pray for families today. I pray for the church. I pray that this morning, Lord, you would give us a revival and a renewal to lean on the authority of your word. That though every man be a liar, we put our trust in God and his word. And Lord, we would be faithful. But Lord, help us also to be gracious For, Lord, the tendency is is to, to become more like the world. We can be slanderous. We can be abusive. We can be proud, boastful, arrogant. Lord, save us from those values. And instead, Lord, make us like Jesus. And may we weep at what is happening to our country and to so many individuals who are swept up in the value system of our day, that we might be faithful to proclaim a gospel of light, of grace, of redemption and mercy. 
Lord, there are so many who are lost. May we be different enough to point the way to a Savior whose name is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Have your way, Father, even now in your church. May we reflect your glory in these terrible times. These last days, Lord, may we be found faithful. I ask this in your name.